do you speak to anybody about anything? Do you speak to small groups or large groups? Do you speak about cars or stress management or insurance or God or whatever? I still believe that something really miraculous happens, not just in preaching, but whenever a human has the chance with a microphone behind a podium or wherever, sometimes behind a screen, to address other humans, there is the possibility of something vulnerable happens that breaks everybody open, that maybe breaks us open into something new. And in almost any room that I'm in, when somebody's going to be speaking, I'm hoping for that miracle of being seen, being known, having an experience, a connection that I haven't experienced before. So I hope that this will be helpful as I share some of my thoughts around speaking. Speaking of speaking, that is something that I do a good bit of. So I felt like this probably would be a good opportunity to mention if you're interested in having me speak at your event, whatever that might be, whether it's on themes from my most recent book, The Road Away from God, maybe it is something like preaching, teaching, speaking itself. Whatever it might be, certainly be more than open to have that kind of conversation on my website, which is jonathanmartinwords.com. Right there on the front page, there is a book, a tab that says Book Jonathan. If you click on that, there's a form to fill out. And my friend Jim Chafee will get right back with you. But I do love to be able to travel and connect with y'all in person, face to face. That's always such a gift. So do know that that's available. Otherwise, because I once again want to get all the way out of the way, thank you so much for being here. If you're able to like, comment, subscribe, share in any form, certainly for those of you who support on Patreon, I'm so humbled and so grateful for any ways that you're able to help us keep this thing going and uh, that any of you would find any of this worth sharing to anybody that you know. So however you got here, I'm grateful that you're here. Thanks for hanging around. Welcome back to the Zycast. So our daughter, Caitlin, is getting ready to compete in the Miss Teen Oklahoma pageant. I love you, Caitlin. I believe in you. And as she's been getting ready for this, that entails a lot of public speaking. We've had some conversations off and on for the last few months about what that looks like for her. And as I've been thinking, as she gets a little bit closer to that, oh, what are the things, if anything, do I have anything in my bag I feel like could be helpful for Caitlin or anybody else? What are the things I would most want her to know? What do I most deeply believe about this business of having a microphone and standing behind, standing on a stage, my case behind a podium or lectern sometimes, wherever it might be. And this thing that happens when people are in a room and you have an opportunity to address them face to face or something like this, where I believe the same miracles can happen. Some of you may be listening right now in your car, over headphones, very, very intimate expression, real way to, speak to somebody's soul to be addressed. And I'm always looking for that to happen. Those of you who know me know that I am a preacher for better or for worse, been doing it most of my life. That's so weird to say, but I preached for the first time when I was 19 years old, had no aspirations then of preaching, stumbled into it, felt like it's what I was meant to do. I turned 45 at the end of this month. So it's been most of my adult life. And I don't claim to be good at it, but if it's something like Malcolm Gladwell's deal, if you're an expert in anything that you've done for over 10,000 hours, God knows at this point I've put in over 10,000 hours. And I've been trying to think more broadly because I did do a one-off Zeitcast last year on preaching. I don't know if anybody heard that one actually. Uh, no self-pity there, but it was it was on preaching. And of course I can't talk about preaching without on some level getting into theology because you get into theological commitments. What do I believe about preaching? 
what do I believe happens? What do I hope happens in preaching? Really wanted to think more broadly about speaking. So I didn't want to just rehash that, hoping also that knowing so many of you do all kinds of things that aren't necessarily in a pulpit. Is there anything, again, in my little toolkit that could be helpful in some way? Now, I am mindful that, and thinking about this at all, just really brings this to the surface. I'm so mindful that the way I think about this is so particular. And the aims that I have, not just as a speaker, but as a listener, who again is always hoping for that miracle to happen in the room where maybe that person at the front or maybe that person behind the screen, what if they get just vulnerable enough that it could break something open in all of us? What if they could tell me something I haven't heard before or in a way I've not heard it before? Or maybe even better, what if they could illuminate something, illumine something inside of me? Uh, maybe it's something that's been that I have thought about, but they've never felt that kind of convergence. You never know when that spark might happen. It certainly does not happen always in preaching. It mostly does not happen in preaching. <laughs> Preaching is often, uh, usually I would say, not the best place to look. And so I just, I want to make sure that I say, I, I'm so aware that there's not a right and wrong way to do a lot of this mechanically. I think that's really important because being comfortable is so important, which I'll say more about in just a moment. But being comfortable in this is so important. And if reading from a manuscript is what makes you feel the most comfortable, by all means, you should do it. Last week, I featured the interfaith conversation with Rabbi Pfeffer, Imam Alamin, and Reverend Dr. Maureen Knudsen Langdock. And uh, you know, Maureen's a wonderful person, a wonderful preacher, doing what we do at DePaul. We've had conversations about this a lot because she's so uncomfortable doing something. I don't think she might be saying that unscripted, if she hasn't had the chance to really think it through, preferably craft a manuscript. And she's a tremendous preacher. She won the preaching award when she was at Duke. Her husband, Brian, who you will also hear in this podcast, also hopefully a lot, they're both phenomenal preachers, but it's a running joke between them that they were at Duke at the same time. Maureen was the one who won the preaching award. Uh, I mean, she preaches from a manuscript in a fantastic way. So many of the great preachers I know preach full manuscript, read the whole thing. There have been times in my life where something has come to me in a way that felt like I really needed to preserve it exactly the way I was feeling something in a moment, the way I seemed to hear it inwardly at the time. And where that's been the case, I have had some just unbelievably long manuscripts. I've, I'm sure there are times in my life where I've had a 20 page manuscript I've carried to a pulpit somewhere. So I'm not against that at all. I think that you can read something all the way through and it'd be such an effective way to communicate. Now, with that being said, what I do, what I attempt to do, aspire to do, has become so vibey and intuitive which incidentally feels dangerous in that way. I cannot remember this study because it's been so long. I know that I've read studies about people who do more kind of extemporaneous speaking. It, it's so high stress. I think that might actually take years off of your life, but uh, so, so there's that. But I, I'm such a believer in the real-time magic that can happen in a room which does not mean, again, that there's not magic that can happen if something is more scripted. I know that the way that I think about these things now, which has evolved as I have evolved, as I've aged, in other words, is that my sense of it, and this is, this is just what I go for, I've given all the disclaimers that I can to the point of maybe being unhelpful, what I'm always going for, and the thing for me to that I, that I would encourage anybody to shoot for who feels comfortable trying. So my sense is, whenever you've got a microphone, whenever you've got an opportunity, talk about much of anything. 
what people are really desperately hoping for, even if they don't articulate this even to themselves, they're really hoping that a real live human being just might emerge and say something that's going to surprise them and say something that is going to connect with them on an authentically human level. People are desperately wanting to hear something that feels authentic. Authenticity has become such a, a buzzword, but something that feels genuine, something that feels soulful, people are desperate to hear it. People are desperate for that sound. I've been talking a bit about the sound of God. People are desperate for that sound. People are really desperate for the sound of something really vulnerable, raw, something risky, something that you hear that, hey, we're not, um, we are by no means do we carry some foolproof, we're not lie detectors, nor am I encourage you to go around thinking that way all the time. But there is a, there is a way, there's a sound that you hear that, that's real, where you hear it like, oh, that, you know, that, that could be made up, something, maybe it was phoned in, but ooh, that sure pulled on something inside of me, that sure touched something authentically human in me that, be, that seems hard to fake. That thing that happens. And my sense of this is, which is where I'd want to go now, it's where I'm starting, but in a lot of ways, it feels like it's where I've landed. It feels like where I've ended. This isn't kind of like point number one. In some ways for me, it's it's kind of everything now in terms of how I think about this. So I think the best way to get there, to get to that place, and this is really tricky because any kind of speaking involves all kinds of dynamics, which includes your nerves, which includes... Um, who else is in the room? Is your boss in the room? Are colleagues in the room? Um, it includes whatever's happening in your digestive system on that day. Part of what affects the dynamic is how you slept the night before. Did you have a fight with your spouse on the way over? Have you been have you had stressful text all morning? I mean, everything goes into the recipe. Everything goes into the formula. And there are all kinds of dynamics. And how much time you have? Do you have two minutes? Do you have 30 seconds? Do you have 20? Do you have an hour? Um, all kinds of things about the space. So many factors that influence the dynamics in a given room in any given opportunity. But my sense is, in order to really connect with people on this deeply human level, for most of us, that's going to involve, in order to get to that deeply human thing in you, for you to feel safe enough, confident enough, vulnerable enough to be able to share the really human thing, or hey, and I, because I know some of you do presentations that involve a lot of data, I'm telling you, there is a human way to present any kind of data. And if that's what you aspire to, then for most people, what that's going to look like is you have to find a way to relax into that. You have to find a way to relax into it, to relax in an environment that is not necessarily relaxing in any way at all. Now, some people, of course, are going to be just more natural in this kind of context. Some of us are more extroverts than others. I will tell you, <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying this already wanting to temper it. There's a part of me that feels like, okay, if you're if you're too confident in these kind of spaces, whoa, you know, you might just be someone who's driving everybody in your life a little nuts. Because I think it's good and right to be not only feel vulnerable, to be on your back foot a little bit. It's not to be intimidated. I don't want anybody to ever feel intimidated, but I think feeling the weight of other humans and all the human things that they're and experiences they're bringing into the room is a good thing. And if that sobers you up a little, that heightens the tension a little, heightens the tension in you, I think that's mostly a good thing. I don't think that's a thing to be avoided or I don't think you're supposed to get around that. I think you got to step into that tension. But then what most of us have to do then 
to get into that place where we can share the really deeply human thing that's inside of us, which by the way, as a Christian, my sense of it is, and I don't think I'm saying something novel here, the whole idea of Jesus as the Christ, right? Is fully divine, fully human. I think that which is the most human is the most divine. So um, with that in mind, I think the way that most of us get there, that sort of like incarnation, being in flesh, really being at home in your own body and your own skin, being home in that room, you have to find a way to relax into that. Now, how you get there can really, really vary. And it varies for me, which is why I have to shake this up and inevitably the way that real life happens when and as I speak, you know, I, I get shaken up whether I choose to or not. So sometimes that means there are sometimes when I really need to be there early. I need to be in the room early. I need to be talking to people. I don't need to have my face in my notes to the absolute last minute where I start acting like a crazy person and uh, muttering and walking in circles the way that I do. Sometimes I really need to be in the room and uh, I need to remember these are people, have a sense of who these people are and where those human points of connections are and just just be in the space. Be in the space as people are are coming in. I think there's something to that. There are other times where I really need to not be where anybody is and I need to be alone. I know preaching has this sort of heightened expectation of being some kind of sacred speech, but beyond thinking of it that way in terms of being connected to God or something, sometimes you just need to be alone with your thoughts. Uh, you need to go over the big ideas again. You need to rehearse those things to yourself, of course. But my sense now more than ever before is that, uh, you know, the magic just rarely is in the notes. Sometimes it might be. I'm not saying it couldn't be. I think for me, it's mostly not. Most of the magic is not in the notes. It's in between the notes. <laughs> and guess who? Guess who's able to to hit that? Guess who's able to play the notes between the notes? Well, that's going to be the person who's the most awake, who's paying attention, and in order to be awake, in order to pay attention to all the things. And by the way, it's a lot of things, right? The to kind of have the be emotionally dialed in enough to have a sense of where and how people what they're bringing into the space, how they're responding in real time to to what you're saying, not in a way that throws you, hopefully. But, yeah, I think it is important. Where is their resistance? Am I sensing resistance now? Why? What is that? What could that be about? For me, speaking is always like surfing in that way. I think if, for me to do it right, it always feels like surfing. But in order to do that, that means you have to be able to clear through the clutter of the anxiety, the expectations, all the other voices in your head and and how you get there. Now, that's the part that can really, really vary. So I mentioned that sometimes that can mean being out among people, being in the crowd first, uh, being at the door, like or just in the space, being in the space before people get there to really soak in the vibes in that way. Sometimes it can be that. Sometimes it can be listening to music over headphones. Sometimes that can look like classical music. For It depends on what I'm trying to do. Sometimes that can look like classical. Sometimes it can be really aggressive hip hop. Now, this is a funny, this will sound funny, but I do think there's something to this. Music for me is really good in general to get out of my head and into my heart and into my body. So music's helpful. But the thing you've got to be a little careful with there thinking in terms of succession right now, the show, Kendall Roy, I'm thinking that it's the first episode, I think, where he's wearing headphones and trying to hype himself up to go to the business meeting. The problem theoretically, or really not theoretically, is that you can, you can overshoot. Like if you get yourself too hyped up, if you get your too amped up almost artificially, too much caffeine, too much music, too much whatever, then you can really overshoot the thing and overshoot the people in the room precisely because you become such pure energy that really you're you're not able to be sensitive. You're not able to be dialed in. There is such a thing as overconfidence in that way. Now, this might seem funny to say as much as I've done this in my life. I very rarely deal with overconfidence. I'm just not that way. I, um, the weight of the moment, the weight of what people have happening in their lives, probably 
all sorts of weird insecurities that I carry around. I very rarely feel like I am going to go in the ditch on the side of overconfidence, but it for sure happens because when you're overconfident, you're not paying attention. You're not being attentive enough to all the other layers of what's happening in the room to what's happening between the notes. And for one, you can be hyper-focused when you overshoot. Overconfidence can look like kind of hyper-focus on your content where you're so dialed in. I, you know, I got this down, here's the things I'm gonna say, and you've got this vision of how you're gonna do it in your head that really can overpower the more sensitive dynamic of what what's happening in the room. And listen, I'm telling you, no matter how long you do this or how good or polished you become, and I don't care what kind of speaking you do, if you're able to do this, if you're able to do this, no matter what's in the notes, there are almost always adjustments that need to be made in real time. There are places you need to lean in a little further. There are places where you need to pull back Sometimes, uh, for different reasons. Sometimes when you feel resistance, that's a reason to plow, to swing harder. Sometimes uh, not ready for this needs to back up. But there, if you can do that, if you can make adjustments on the fly, there are always adjustments and amendments to be made. When I'm in a setting somewhere where I'm speaking more than once and giving the same talk, it, it almost never comes out the same way because the room's not the same. The, the people are not the same. Therefore, the energy is not the same. The dynamics are not the same. Now, look, I'm aware that maybe most of what's going to affect me is really going to be my own energy and what I mentioned before, how I've slept, how, I've, how I'm eating, all that stuff. Maybe that's the most determinative stuff on some level. But I'm I'm also pretty convinced that the energy in the room, it is wild how some jokes will land in one space and not in another, even if you have the cadence and rhythm exactly the same. I'm not going to do this because I did in that preaching podcast, even though, again, it's been so long ago, but I talked a little bit about the difference between Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle in this way. Chris Rock, I feel like, and what I've seen over the years is, is and this isn't bad because he's a great, uh, he's great at what he does, obviously, but he's gotten a lot more mechanical. It's The execution has become so precise to where if he's on tour, it feels like, to me, he's like I've seen with a lot of preachers, he hits the play button in his head. And once he feels like he's got the content where he wants it, he's trying to duplicate that every night. Well, of course that can be effective. Uh, but Chappelle, for all of the controversy and however you feel about him and all of his content, this is one of the ways I feel like Chappelle is one of the most genius communicators I've ever heard. Chappelle's between the notes all the time. And it's why I'll address this more later. There's a lot of highs and lows. And vocally, uh, he, he's so dialed into the room. I know when he's on the road, content's changing a lot because he's so he is intuitive and he is engaging what he's feeling, what he's sensing in the room in real time. Now, again, I would contend not that that's the right way to do it, but I think the ceiling is higher. Did it, you know, I don't know if I said this before quite this way, but you, you can't ever really assess yourself in terms of speaking just like in a lot of other things in your life. <laughs> I wouldn't trust my own assessment, but I will tell you this honestly, here's my, my sense of myself as a communicator. I do feel like my ceiling is a lot higher than a lot of people. It's higher ceiling because I'm open to the magic of the moment. And I think if you're open to the magic of the moment, special things can happen when you're dialed in. Spirit moves in that, however you want to put it. I, I do think it makes your ceiling higher. However, however, this is an awfully big however, it also means that kind of a lower, uh, you can really bottom out. Like I'm not going to average 20 points a game. For me, it's going to be either you score 60 or you might not score at all. And I do. I like I can miss on everything because it's that vibey and that intuitive to me. It is a more risky way of, of doing it. But I do think for people who are able to kind of surf in the moment, read the notes in between the notes, play them based on what's happening in the room. And yes, even what's happening in themselves. I do think that there is a certain kind of magic that certainly interests me. It certainly keeps me awake. And which is also probably something that's worth saying. 
if you're awake. You know, I don't, this isn't foolproof, but as a communicator, I think if you're having fun, if you can, whatever it takes to get you there, and if you, you just live in dread fear about it and it's not something you love to do and it's never going to be a thing that you love to do, that's okay. But if it can become fun for you, when it is fun for you, then I think it's exponentially more likely that the crowd is having a good time. But that does not sound profound at all, does it? It's not. But I, I think there's something to that. That's why I pay attention to the inner switches. I, You know, it's just like... Um, if you're driving stick in a car, the way that you can feel it when the gear shifts, I feel the gear shifting in me. I can feel it recording a podcast. Oh, I, you know, I'm hitting some kind of a pocket right here. I can feel it. Uh, the crowd can feel it. Knowing when you're making those transitions and having even a loose sense of what's happening, being dialed into that can be tremendously helpful on all kinds of levels. I'm saying a lot of things, but the really simple thing I'd want to say is this. I think most of the time, and I cannot think of many exceptions to this. Actually, I can think of one, which I'll give in a second. But with very few exceptions, I think the best communication always happens when the veil is the thinnest between the real you and the audience. The best communication happens when the veil is the thinnest between the real you and the audience. So what do you need to do to get the veil thin? What do you need to do to get safe enough, comfortable enough, relaxed enough? For years preaching, I used to go to the same bakery every Sunday. I would ride my bike there. I'm a, I'm a fan of rituals in this way, in the same way that if you play basketball, everybody has a free throw shooting rhythm, a thing that they do. For me, I, it's dribble, dribble, spin, then shoot. Everybody has a different little free throw shooting routine. Having a routine actually, I think is really helpful. Uh, can be good to break the routine sometimes, but I think having one can be good because anything that you do that's a routine, anything that you do that becomes a habit helps you get out of your head. So in that way, having some kind of a ritual, having some kind of a pregame, I think can really be good because keep in mind the goal, if, if the idea is that the best communication is going to happen when the veil is at the thinnest, what's going to get you the loosest? How will you get loose? How can you get loose enough to let the real you out in some way? Now, what I was going to say is the exception to this, I think, is it is true that sometimes if we're really actively carrying trauma that's not resolved at all, um, you know, and even in that, goodness, I've heard people speak so many times in so much pain and so much trauma. And it'd be so powerful. But I am aware that just if the emotions are too intense, so much that it could overwhelm you to the point to where you're consumed, that that's not always a great thing. Just like in the same way, there's a difference between vulnerability, which I think is always good. I don't know um, when it's ever bad to be vulnerable unless you're in an environment trying to be vulnerable that's just fundamentally unsafe, which can happen. Generally, vulnerability is a good thing. It's a good thing to strive for. But there's a difference between vulnerability and just like opening the inner sewer. Uh, you don't want to say on a stage things that really need to be shared in therapy, stuff that's completely unprocessed. Nadia Boltz Weber said something great years ago about, I think it probably was about preaching, but I think speaking in general, difference between speaking from scars than wounds. If it's like an open wound as opposed to a scar, you know, you can see it. There's damage, there's been hurt, there's been pain, but there's also been a bit of a healing process. Very different to speak from a, a wound or a scar. Sometimes you're speaking from a wound, then you can't you can't be in control of your craft. You can kind of get swallowed up in the moment as someone who probably overshares sometimes. <laughs> Maybe my friends think I overshare all the time. But I say that though, to, to tell you the truth, I'm really, really mindful actually about what is going to be useful for people who hear me. And I never want any time when I'm speaking publicly, I don't want to just me be me working out some kind of an issue that really isn't for somebody else really don't want to get into that thing. So 
there there definitely is something to relaxing, getting this place where you're the most unveiled you can be. But that being said, maybe some stewardship of knowing where your where are wounds versus scars, where are have you moved long enough to be able to talk about something and be vulnerable, but not in a way that works things out on people at absolute worst. And I don't feel like I hear this all the time, but it does happen sometimes. Absolute worst form of speaking becomes kind of narcissism where you put people through things. You almost put them through a trial for them to endure. Oh, people know things they really didn't need to know. They're just unhelpful for them that are uh, that they're unable to process because you're working through some kind of a thing. I don't think you need to overthink that because I think for most people, most people are not likely to err on the side of vulnerability. <laughs> it's still pretty rare in public spaces that I feel like people really err on the side of true vulnerability. Maybe like in a performative way that happens, but even that I think is, tends to be more of a faux vulnerability that has its crocodile tears, it's for performance, it's for effect. I, real vulnerability, people, you know, very rarely do I feel like people err on that side. Uh, the thing that maybe is most true for me, and I don't know if this is helpful because it's so internal, it might not make sense to anybody else. But when I'm speaking, the closest thing to a gauge that I have more so than anything else, um, without again, trying to go anything theological, I'm talking about just what I feel and what I know to trust within myself. There's a place within me that I would, for lack of a better way to put it, I, I, I refer to it as the tender place. I've almost never talked about this in any kind of a public setting at all. Inside, I have a I have a place that I call the tender the tender place, and here's what that means. Okay, if overconfidence is bluster, it's bravado, and it's um, this is the state that I can get in, and maybe every once in a while I need to get into where it's just like um, where you're just getting all hyped, and if the other end of the continuum is really being shaky in your confidence and not having a strong sense of self and being scared to death about the room or the people in it or what's about to happen, any of those kinds of things. Um, kind of like in, in bowling, if those are the two, if, if those are kind of the two ditches that we have, the tender place is right in the middle. So now I'm, I'm exposed I'm going out on that stage. I'm, I've got that microphone. I'm, I'm, I'm exposed. I'm exposed. I'm exposed to the elements. People are going to see me. People are going to see more than I want them to see, maybe, because even when I'm most in control of my craft, if you're operating at a place of vulnerability, you're giving people a kind of access and it's uncomfortable. So, you know, there's something exposing about that. But I'm not going to be swallowed up by fear, anxiety. Uh, tender is not the same thing as broken or broken down, uh, but it's not the same thing as bravado and bluster. Is it fair to say? For me, it is. Most public speaking that I hear in my life and in the world mm, is bluster. It's just, it's just a lot of bluster. It's just a lot of like, it's windy. <laughs> It's a lot of, it's blustery wind, uh, a lot of attitude, a lot of uh, posturing, but it's not, eh, it, it's just bluster. The tender place is, is never going to be bluster because if, if I'm doing it right, quotation marks, it's going to sting for me a little. It will hurt for me a little. And when I feel that sting, uh, when I feel that a little bit overexposed. Usually for me, that means I'm kind of in the middle, but that I'm actively looking for that. I'm looking to be in the tender place. I don't, if I, if I get so relaxed or overconfident that I overshoot that, I'm not capable of communicating on a human level. And if I, you know, just sit and stew and allow the myself to focus on 
people's perception, how they're going to be judging what I'm saying, then that's not going to get me there either. The, the tender place is an in-between space for me. Now, that does, though, get in a little bit to intent, motivation, what's going on inside. I'm very curious about those things when it comes to this discipline, this practice. And I'm also, it, it's just also something I care a lot about in terms of, you know, for other people. So that's one of the things maybe I would most want to say about where and how I think speaking is most effective in general is that I don't know if anything really amazing ever happens where somebody doesn't give themselves over to something larger in the room beyond their own ego. Now, I understand, again, this is not about preaching. This is about speaking. I'm not just talking about preaching. I think that's even true in comedy. I think the best comedy is still vulnerable, comes from a vulnerable place. And I think you still have to get beyond your own ego self. Because if the only stakes for you are ego stakes, if it's all about how will I be judged, how will I be perceived, will I be applauded or not, will I be celebrated, will I be better than this person or that person, it's just a different energy. I think you have to get lost in something bigger than yourself, but that can be all kinds of things. So to use the example in terms of like comedians, I think that wanting to take people to someplace transcendent where they're able to really laugh at themselves and their lives and, you know, experience that kind of, that kind of magic, the magic that comes from play and playfulness. Well, yeah, that's something bigger than you. Comedy can be bigger than you, of course. And I, I just, I cannot think again of a single category in terms of speaking where this is not a thing. For it to be everything it can be, you've got to make it about something bigger than yourself. What you know is tricky because what if, right, the ego stakes are what ultimately motivate you? So I was like, oh, now I have to make this about something bigger than me so that it can work. Well, I guess that's a complication. But I think in order to fully step into the moment, you have to step into something bigger than yourself. It's gotta be, it's gotta become about something bigger than winning or losing, what people are gonna say about it when it's over. That's so huge. No, no one has ever done great speaking about anything that's mostly thinking about what people are gonna say about it when it's over. You have to be about the thing and whatever that thing is, um, uh, I, I'm today I've got an opportunity to help moms to, uh, today I can speak to students who are struggling with, uh, to, you know, I, to be able to speak to the interior life of a person who doesn't feel seen, doesn't feel known, somebody else who struggled in the same way that you struggled to give somebody some kind of motivation, some kind of hope to feel like they could go on for another minute. Whatever it needs to be, I'm telling you, from my experience, you have to step into something larger than yourself and the ego stakes of that moment if you want the magic to happen. So, and I feel about that about like I do the thing about getting the veil between you and the audience to be as thin as possible. Whatever gets you there, whatever gets you mindful. If you need to go on a hike, if you need to be out in nature, if we're because one of the things that's great about being out in nature in general, I think, is it helps us to feel smaller, get a sense of our smallness in the universe. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need to remember that, you know, you're not the world doesn't revolve around you, whatever. But you need because the idea is to be caught up in something larger. So whatever can get you into that largeness, if you can step, I'm not trying to sound too abstract here. If you can step into that kind of spaciousness inside yourself, you will provide that kind of spaciousness for everybody else. So if you can step into a big, wide open space in here, then you will create a big, wide open space out there. But that means you have to find it first. You got to be able to step into that big, wide open space. And I'm just saying it one more time. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. There is no arena in which people don't need the big wide open space, which means you have to access it inside yourself first, whatever you have to do to get there. Now, 
that's heart motivation a little bit. Something kind of practical. And if I'm telling the truth, because I don't want to give any moral reasons for this, I'm just, I want to talk as superstitious as I really am. I feel very passionately about a lot of things. I feel strong about a lot of things. So that does mean that there are some moments in my life where I have in some kind of a public space had some really serious confrontations, very serious confrontations. I don't think I want to tell the stories right now because I think that might detract from the point. Uh, but in drive-by form, if I think about <laughs> being on the General Assembly floor and the denomination I was in for much of my life in a conversation about women in ministry where I went bananas, it was extremely confrontational. If I think about <laughs> Jerry Falwell Jr., if I think about some of the, there have been a number of things in my life where I've ended up being way more confrontational, controversial than what's in my nature to do. One of the podcasts I put out last week was getting into some things where I know there's going to be confrontation in it. So I'm not, I don't shy away from confrontation, nor I tell you to confrontation is really important. Uh, conflict's really important. Uh, I mean, I think. Of course, we want to have the right kind of conflict, the right kind of confrontation, and for the right reasons. But that would be a whole different podcast, wouldn't it? What I'm very superstitious about is this. Whatever speaking you do on whatever kind of level, I'm going to tell you, I legitimately have such a, a superstitious disposition about dunking on people in, in public, which, is, which can be really funny to do. It can be fun to do. I'm not saying I haven't done it or that I never do it. I'm not saying it's never worth it. I'm telling you, like in general, as someone who spent a lot of time trying to teach people what I believe is the truth of a God who is not, for me, I don't believe is punitive or petty or vindictive. I know that's like, oh, you did something bad today. Therefore, God is going to make sure you get it by the end of the day. I, you know, I, I, I'd like to think I believe in something bigger than karma. What goes around comes around. I want to be a person who's all about grace. And yet, y'all, I just, I do kind of feel this way. If I've, I feel like if I dunk on somebody unnecessarily, it, I do kind of feel like mm, it comes back around on me. You know, you um, <laughs> then I'm going to flub the line. I'm going to step out of the moment, partly because I think dunking on people often has a lot of ego involved in it. What do you mean? By, what dunking on people? What does that mean? Well, of course, it can mean outright insulting somebody, but it can be more subtle than that. It can be score settling. There are ways to use speaking for score settling that don't involve overtly dunking on somebody. I would highly recommend not ever using speaking for score settling because the tender human things that need to happen when we have these opportunities to communicate face to face, and I'm including in that behind the screen, those things are so tender. I just feel like the, the taking the victory lap, saying the thing that you can say just because you can say it, that's going to gratify you in some way, going to make you feel bigger than somebody, look bigger than somebody, settle a score, um, write some kind of historic wrong in that way. You know, I'm not talking about justice here. I'm talking, you know, score settling. I just, I, I guess I do believe in bad karma in speaking in that way. I don't think it works well for anybody. But it also speaks to the more larger point of something I brought up earlier, which is that I just think in general, even though I know that whenever we're being vulnerable or honest in writing and print and speaking, whatever, there's always things that we're working out we're not aware of. I, I think it's ideal to do as little working issues out in those kind of public spaces as possible. You may disagree with me. Some people use social media more like that. I don't love it. Not that I don't love the sound of vulnerability. I love it when people feel like they can, ex, you know, verbally process. That's one thing. But I also think sometimes there are things that are just a little more violent. I don't just mean to the people who listen or 
to the people you might be talking about. I think it can be violent to yourself when something is still tender and growing inside of you and hasn't been resolved. Sometimes just airing that everywhere, sometimes it's not good for you. And only you can discern that. But I, I just know, again, in general, any of the kind of score settling, trying to even anything up in that way, I feel like does not generally go well when you're speaking. I do think energetically it kind of messes with things. So that's just that's one kind of practical aside. I think the other thing I would that I would want to say that is really mechanical because there are so many different ways stylistically, so many different ways to speak, just like there's so many different ways to write that can be compelling. And part of what I love about the world that we're in right now, for all the dangers of the internet, it's a great thing about it being so niche, right? Is that whatever your niche is, you can find it. And there's something that's going to speak to everybody within reason. So it's good to explore a niche. It's good to be particular about your interest or your hobbies, the stuff that you like to think about. I think all that is good. But one thing that I think is just is super mechanical that I feel like applies to almost anybody, no matter where you are and or what kind of speaking you do stylistically, how you're most inclined to engage. I really don't think it matters. If somebody was talking to me and they were looking for something super pragmatic that would help them communicate more effectively right now today. I've got to do this thing in 15 minutes. What's the one thing you could tell me that could actually help this go somewhere else? Here's the biggest thing I would tell you mechanically. And I just don't think I can overstate it no matter what you're doing, how you do it. Vary your tone. Are y'all hearing me? Vary your tone. This is what I would want to say to young Jonathan about speaking. This is what I want to say to current me about speaking, because I still think there's so much room for improvement. Now, if you've heard me long enough, you know, when I get into a certain kind of rhythm way of talking, I, I can talk a little fast. In general, I feel like I would do better to take more breaths, lean into pauses. I know that can be silly if it's done in like a cartoonish way, like overly dramatic, but it doesn't have to be that. I think slowing down, leaning into pauses. For somebody like me, like that automatically, I, I'm not always going to think to do it. So I am a little bit set in my ways now. But if there's something that conscientiously, in terms of the mechanics of my speaking, that I will still go out and think almost out loud to myself, okay, like I'm gonna I'm gonna slow this thing down. I'm gonna slow down and settle into some moments, take some breaths. When something really connects with the audience in some level, or maybe it's not even about connecting, maybe a, a, some, a question stirs something up and you feel it hanging in the room. Give that a minute to breathe. Let it let it sit. Very your tone. This is where I'll come back around on Chappelle. Part of the genius of how Chappelle communicates now, which has certainly changed, has gotten older. Lots of highs and lows. He can come down to a whisper, and it's so soft. And and, and when you whisper. Sometimes that's the thing that makes people lean in. Now I'm all for speaking loud. And sometimes when I get really excited about something, then I get more animated and I get more passionate. And Pentecostal preachers like to yell. But here's the thing. Sometimes people don't necessarily pay more attention because you're yelling. Sometimes you're drawn in more to a whisper. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Whispers are uh, whispers. Whispering is intimacy um, in general. Just because here's the thing: it's not. I know what what this is. Not the same thing as singing, but there's still something to vocal range. Up, down, just 
variation because there is a musicality to speaking and there's no way it doesn't make you more interesting. And again, not do it in a way that just gets, gets weird. One of the reasons actually that I think this is important to say, because understandably, okay, like if you ever had a public speaking class in college or something like that, or, or I don't know, maybe you did theater like I did. Uh, that was a theater minor. If y'all didn't know you get a lot of emphasis on project. You need to project your voice, project your voice. And so if you're thinking about projecting your voice, project to the back row so everybody can, you know, like what, you know, whatever kind of thing. If I can be funny about this, it's actually hilarious to me. Some of the most uninteresting preachers I've ever heard actually are really loud and loud all the time. I don't mean to make fun, but um, there's a, there was a preacher who I listened to a lot years ago and I, I can, I'm, I'm not trying to be a hater, but literally this was the same. This was the tone. This was the pitch. This was the cadence for, um, for 45, 50 minutes every time. And I probably, need to back away from my microphone. Today's sermon is from the Gospel of Luke. And as we look at this passage, we see where Jesus went to the well. And as Jesus went to the well, you might imagine when you, and the whole thing was there. The whole thing was there. I just scared Stella. I'm so sorry, Stella. That, like the whole, the tone was just there all the time. It just like, it just wore you out. I, the funny thing about it is it's so loud, but it puts you to sleep in seven or eight minutes because the tone, the tone was always here. And the idea seemed to be that so long as I continue to communicate in a loud voice and I'm projecting to the back row, everyone will remain interested in what I'm saying. And nothing could be further from the truth is the most monotonous thing. Oh my gosh, what I wouldn't have given for something that's more conversational there. Um, I'm not trying to make this about preaching. I would refer you to the riff I did in the podcast previously mentioned on preaching. But this is one of those things, y'all. Like, um, it's part of where black preaching is just better. Uh, Bishop Noel Jones, I shared a story in that where he talks about the role of suspense in black preaching. Black preaching doesn't tell you like a white Southern Baptist sermon. Here are the three points I'm going to tell you today. And then you tell them those things. You start somewhere and you take them some, somewhere else. There's a journey and there's drama. There's a suspense. This great line. Everybody know. I, I, I'm almost tempted to tell the illustration. But again, I've done that before. The, the punchline essentially is everybody knows Jesus is going to make it out at the end. Everybody knows Jesus. He, he's going to resurrect. He's going to be all right but I want to see just how much trouble I can get Jesus into between now and in the sermon. Oh, I mean, that that's so great. And do you understand that this is true about any kind of speaking is that suspense matters in any kind of narrative starting someplace and taking people somewhere. Well, I'm only, I'm only have 30 seconds. I'm only have two minutes. I, I would still recommend taking somebody, we'll take them on a short journey, take them on a 30 second journey. But I, I'm telling you, any sense of movement, any kind of sense of flow where there's a sense of a thing building, any TV show that you like, any movie that you like that works for you, I guarantee you it's built, it's built in such a way where the dramatic tension increases as it goes. And there's a way that it feels like the narrative ramps up uh, so, you know, you don't come out of the gate like screaming and you or, or with your best line or something. Now, of course, how you start matters. And of course, it's great to kind of grab people by the collar in the first 30 seconds. I think that's great. But any sense of movement and progression, the way that we just I mean, it's storytelling, it's storytelling and what communication does not involve storytelling. So yeah, I just can't punch that hard enough. Vary your tone, start someplace, 
but then take people on a journey. I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's good. And I think it's good to, if you have time, if you have room for some strategic detours, if there's where, you know, if there's room to lean into something, I think that's great to do. Again, that depends on your comfort level, but I just think that if you're, if you were looking for something quick and dirty, that'd be it. I'd say like, man, vary your tone. Like the next time, the next talk, vary the tone. Because I think that just not settling into some kind of a monotonous groove, um, it's allow well, and a, part of this again, it's not about demanding people's attention. I think that in the same way, the human journey, there are all kinds of highs and lows. I think the more of that range that we can capture and the kind of stories that we tell and the way we tell those stories, um vocally then the the kind of rhythms that we have that that's i think that's i think that's really good and um so here's the really really pro tip the pro tip i'm not saying everybody should do this maybe this is maybe this feels like a little 2.0 if you've not done this a whole lot but if you have and you're trying to get better here's something i would highly encourage as much as i think it's good to like master uh, a need of some sort and okay here's the thing that i do and here's the way they do it i'm this is well this is the way i do it and so i'm gonna just keep it one of the things i love about preaching and in general also though just being able to do things where i get to talk about different kind of stuff is that the content has varied enough and continues to vary enough to where i always have the sense that uh eh, this stuff is so the content is diverse enough to where surely the same medium stylistically is not going to work for everything. So I really don't want to have such a style that it's like, okay, here's my thing that I'm going to do. So whatever content I have, I'm now going to force it into that style. In fact, where I really like to go is more to think, okay, here's what this content is today I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking about depression and there'll be people in the room who are depressed today I'm gonna be talking about um, how to develop spiritual practices oh um, today I'm going to be talking to people about how to engage with difficult family, you know, whatever, plug in whatever you want. Those different subjects and the, the, for that matter, the people who are going to be there, I feel like when I'm at my best, I'm able to be more loose and more fluid. Those things de demand something different from me. That the, the tone, the sound should not be the same. So my sense of it is, aspirationally, I would really love for the message to dictate the messenger rather than the other way around. I would really love it if, you know, okay, maybe if, if someone, God help them, heard me 10 times in a row, they could still be surprised by something because the goal is never to, again, fit something into my grid or in my rubric. I want to get to where the content is and where it demands me to go, which may mean sometimes you go louder, sometimes you go softer, sometimes you go more inward and sometimes more somber, sometimes more celebratory, sometimes more raucous, you hear what I'm saying? More rowdy, that there needs to be room. Um, to, so I think if, you, if, you, if you've done this for a while, that would be kind of my, 2.0 challenge would be the next time you got to do something like this in any context, how might the content challenge you to go somewhere that you've not gone before or to communicate in a, in a style that you've not communicated before, even that might feel kind of unnatural while you, it's not the same thing as acting, you're not stepping into performance in that way. I will say this. Remember how we started with the premise of just how important vulnerability is. Part of what I like about that kind of experimentation is, boy, it'll make you vulnerable. 
you know, I know when I'm, when I'm trying to do something that's not in my wheelhouse to do, and I'm aware of that, it, it will have me on my back foot a bit. I just don't think that's a bad thing. I'm learning not to be scared of that. And I think, especially again, if there's a degree of transparency there and instead of just overpowering, uh, you know, maybe without again, opening up the whole sewer, I let people see a little bit of maybe even some of this tension inside of me invite people into that. I tend to think that's a really powerful thing. You don't be too self-referential about what you're doing. You don't want your speaking to always be about your speaking. I get to do that today because it's all about speaking. Uh, you don't want to make constant comments about like being nervous or anything like that. But I think really letting people in to some kind of genuine emotion in the moment, even that is a little more fragile, uh, that it can be, it can be a good way to really connect with people on a, on a human level. I think that probably is enough. The only other thing maybe I would, that would be worth saying all kinds of communicators who I admire and I love to hear who do this in all kinds of ways that inspire me and in lots of different directions. So I brought up Chappelle as a comic is just in terms of his instincts in room are kind of unmatched. Even if you disagree with him about some things, Ooh, what a, I mean, just a, a, a mutant level communicator, like one of the, the very, very, very few people in the world that can do whatever they want with a microphone, the way that Chappelle does. Now I will tell you in terms of people who uniquely carry the gift that I've known or been around or heard, like whatever, Glennon Doyle is one of those people. Glennon has the thing in room. Glennon, Glennon can do anything she wants with the microphone. It's interesting too, because I feel like Glennon's thing is so vulnerable and she really leans in on sort of the fragility of the moment and what's happening in real time, all those things. But um, you can't mistake that for weakness. She is a, she's kind of a monster in a big room. You know, I feel like she's one of those people because for me, it's high comment. They can do anything they want with a microphone. Glennon, Glennon's one of those people. Jen Hatmaker is one of those people. Jen Hatmaker can take a crowd almost anywhere in a moment. Has that very dialed into the moment, into the room uh, kind of dynamic thing that I'm talking about. John Stewart um, is one of these people, and and good grief he just continues to evolve in ways that are scary. I know the clips that keep circling from his new show where he's doing interviews and it's more like, uh, feels like the most hard hitting old school journalism. And of course his roots are more in stand up comedy and all that. But he is one of those people though, who I feel like carries the, the intuitive thing. Uh, people will talk about or hope for him like running for office. And I don't know if it ever happened, but, no one should ever debate this person for this reason. He's too dialed in. He's too locked in. See, that's why this, and this is why John Stewart could never, I've never seen him lose to anybody in lots of these contentious on-air conversations or even get rattled. One, he, he uses his self-deprecating wit in a lethal way. Self-deprecation can go off the rails if it's overdone or overcooked, but he does not. He uses it as a weapon. Like if so, the way he's able to pivot if somebody comes at him and you know almost take it, take it on, take it in, and leverage it. Oh, it's the judo moves he's able to do as well. But beyond that, I just feel like he's like the most aware. He's just very aware of what's happening in room and what's happening with the person. So smart in real time in that way. He's one of those folks. I'm always like, wow, that uh, that guy's from another planet. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes in terms of preaching and who, by the way, one of the things Jakes models most, this whole idea I've mentioned in black preaching, narrative, build and drama, good grief from going from low to high and you feel the gear shift and like all that. But the way he's able to do the instincts in a room and, and keep him and how different are all the communicators that I've mentioned. But what I find in common between them is a lot of awareness. It's a great deal of awareness. You can't make yourself more of an extrovert. You can't, uh, you can't change your wiring. I get that. But I do think all of us can do things that make us more aware. And I don't know if for you that's breathing exercises or again, hiking, prayer, um, 
maybe it is music, whatever. But I think whatever can bring you in, because that is, and I really am done on this, that for me is speaking at its best anyway, is uh, it's is a kind of state of like hyper-awareness that I don't think is entirely something you're born with. I, I think it has a lot to do with paying attention. Now, even as I'm saying that, as a person who has ADHD, there are things that I do not pay attention to. There are details I'm inevitably going to miss even when I make my notes and do all the things. It'll be very embarrassing sometimes. So, you know, but I do think, you know, attempting to pay attention, attempting to pay attention to the context where you are on every level. Uh, of course, knowing about the people that you're speaking to, anything you know beforehand is great. But I stress again, being very sensitive to what people are feeling, how they're responding and or not responding and why in the moment. I just think it's not a game. It's not a game and it's not a competition. But if it were, then for me, <laughs> the the winner is the most aware because the most the more aware that you're able to be that this is all it's about for me is effectiveness the more effective you're going to be the more aware you are the more awake you are then you're going to be able to speak to people on different layers and under those layers and get under the rib cage and under the fingernails and all these things. And they won't even know like why or what, what happened to them or why they feel so broken open or so tender. But just keep in mind, everybody is waiting for something miraculously human to happen inside of us, inside of a room, inside of a space where they're being addressed by another human being. And it just might happen. Just might happen for you next time. Just might happen for me next time. Um, also, it may not. Also, the way Bono talks about the spirit and songwriting is very fickle and the thing may not show up, but it might, but it may might, uh, it might still. And that's part of the suspense. That's part of what keeps us going back. And just because it didn't happen last time doesn't mean it can't happen next time. I know I sound like maybe too much of a mystic. I don't think every time it has to be something explosive that happens. But I still think on some level, you know what I mean. Something really human and tender and vulnerable, something real can happen. And when something real happens between humans where people feel addressed, they feel seen, they feel known, that's no small thing. It's no small thing to me that you would spend an hour of your time listening to the Zeitcast. Thanks so much for being here. If you experiment with any of this, if you have ideas or practices of your own as somebody who's always still trying to grow in my in my own craft, please let me know. I want to hear them. And I'm not going to edit out, by the way, that that came out as graft rather than craft. <laughs> because this is real and human and vulnerable. Thanks for being here. We'll do this again very soon.